everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, everything that you have done for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that uh, you would use me to speak your truth and not my own. Um, I pray um, for the group that's going to the Dominican Republic, that they would serve you and honor you in all that they do, that you would give them safe travels, and that you would bless their time over there. Please bless our time this morning uh, as we learn from your word. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been covering, uh, we've been going through a sermon series that we are calling Killjoys, and the idea around that series is that we're covering the seven deadly sins. You guys hopefully have heard this already by now, but historically, the seven deadly sins, I wish I'd wrote them down, I forget them off the top of my head, are like the seven big sins that are sort of referenced often in scripture or is treated with some sort of you know, extra level of severity that they're, you know, they're repeated or they're given specific emphasis or there are sins which breed other sins. So the seven deadly sins concept isn't found in scripture. That's just kind of a term we've coined. So we're covering those seven. Um, and the seven deadly sins, uh, as, we, as we titled the, the series, are killjoys. Right? They rob you of your Christian walk if you participate in them. They steal away your joy in your life. They disrupt your relationship with God. And um, even beyond that, I think one of the things that's important to recognize about the killjoys is a lot of these sins are sins that unbelieving people um, commit themselves to rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I mean by that is like, these are the sins that effectively keep people from coming to Christ. You see repeatedly in Scripture this idea that a couple of these sins, people, they have the opportunity to look at Christ, to be saved, to walk and follow him, but they're like, eh, I'd rather go for, you know, money. I'd rather go for lust I would, or sexual sin. I would rather go for, and so that's sort of another um, common thread among the seven deadly sins. So just keep that in mind as we continue through this series um, it's important that we learn about these sins and learn that we must stay away from them. So today, we are going to be covering greed. Greed is listed as one of the seven deadly sins. It is a sin that is mentioned over and over and over and over and over in the Bible. Uh, we are told to abstain from it. Just a few texts for you quickly. By the way, I know... Typically, we have a couple passages that we visit on a Sunday morning. I get a lot this morning, so we're not going to be in one particular part of Scripture. I will mention the references. There's too many to even have. I didn't even put them on my slides. There's too many. So just keep that in mind. I'll mention the references. You can look that up, but I will read them, okay? That's just a little thing, little thing that's different this morning. Um, so one of the texts, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then, wait, quick question. Does anyone know the other term for greed or for greed in the Bible? It's a common, it's a one word term we use. Does anyone know it by chance? No, nothing? Well, the word is covet. That's like an English word that comes up often in our translation of scripture. To covet basically means the same idea as to be greedy. It's to sort of desire something. I'll get into that. Um, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet or be greedy for your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We'll get into that a little bit later, but the 10th commandment is expressing that idea. Like, do not be greedy for or covet these specific things. And then another, another one, uh, Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness, be, being covetous, or to covet or being coveting. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? So those are just a couple of texts to reinforce the idea that greed is sinful. It's mentioned over and over and over and over and over. Not tolerated among the followers of Christ. So in order to address greed, I need to address a couple things. I want to talk about this. Uh, I want to address this clearly because I think there's a lot of questions that immediately come up out of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to address what greed is. So we're gonna talk about what greed looks like, basically. We're gonna cover what greed is not, because I think it's important to make some uh, uh, distinguish, distinguishing remarks about things that aren't greedy. Naturally, when people teach about greed or that subject comes up, out of that comes a lot of questions. I'll cover that, okay? And then we're gonna cover the disastrous effects of greed, and we're gonna cover the solution for greed, okay? The solution's uh, for greed. All right, so starting with what greed is, all right, so definition of greed. You all are probably familiar with the term. Someone define for me what greed slash coveting is. Put a label on it for me. Someone help me out. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I like that. Anyone else? That's really good. I like that a lot. Your undivided attention. Say it one more time. That's a really good definition. I like that. Silas, did you see your hand? No? Uh, he kind of killed it. Sorry, dude. You're not getting better than that. No, that's a really good answer. I like that a lot. Here's a couple more that I wrote down. Uh, the dictionary defines, defines it, a dictionary defines it as to desire wrongfully or without due regard for the rights of others. Definition two, another definition, one author says to covet means to desire some object we shouldn't or to desire it with an inappropriate intensity. Um, Christ's definition that he mentions in scripture is laying up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay? Um, we see in scripture that we can be greedy for three different categories of things. We can be greedy for money. That seems clear. That's probably the most obvious one that comes to our minds. The love of money is a, is a term scripture uses several times. 
The love of money is in the original language that the Bible's written. They, they use the Greek word philagurea. Did I pronounce that right? Philagurea. It's a Greek term, and it means an affection for silver, which is kind of a, that's a helpful definition, too, to kind of get our eyes or our minds wrapped around uh, what greed kind of means. But the point is, um, that's, that's what the Bible is referencing when it says the love of money. It's that Greek term, affection for silver. Um, and it's probably the most common for to, form of greed. I mentioned that already. And that, like, what comes to our mind when we think of greedy people is kind of people desiring money, wealth, right? Um, second thing is we can be greedy for possessions. That's an also a fairly obvious answer. Um, the Tenth Commandment, I'll read it again. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is his neighbor's. Now, a lot, most of those aren't really relevant for us in our modern time and culture, right? I'm not too concerned with my neighbor's ox. That's, that's, I couldn't possibly care less. So I just, just a little thought exercise. What are some things in our culture today that we can covet or be greedy for in like modern American culture? What are some things that people typically desire, covet? Yes, ma'am. So yeah, social media, like attention. Yeah, yeah. What else? Somebody's car. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a really big one. We live in a really, really car, car affectionate culture. It's, I can't wrap my head around it. it. It doesn't, it's not my thing. What else? Shout it out. Just throw it out there. Shoes. Yeah, there's a good one. There's a good one. Shoes is a big one. Does anyone covet my shoes? No? Dang it. I want you to covet my shoes. Oh, well. I'll better ones next week, I promise. Okay, I'll get a couple more. Houses. House is probably the biggest one I could think of, right? People's elaborate mansions. And if you spend any time on social media, I swear everyone on social media makes like $400,000 a year. Everyone's house is amazing on social media. I don't get it. I don't get where people get their money. But every time I go, I, I see my wife shows me a TikTok or something, I'm like, that is an amazing house. I, I want that house. Uh, boats, cars, motorcycles. Those are some dude ones. Like, a finished basement with like six TVs to watch all the football games on. Those are all things that in our culture, those are like things that we can acquire to sort of raise our status or, or make us feel more validated or, or whatever you want to say there. But the point is, all of those things are typical things in our culture that we can covet. So the Ten Commandment talks about oxes and donkeys, etc., etc. But I think obviously those things that we just talked about or applicable to our culture. And the third thing that we can be greedy for is we can be greedy for evil. And I'm taking this from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, where Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He's talking about the world. He's talking about unbelieving people. He says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So I'm not going to cover... <coughs> excuse me, I'm not going to cover that idea too much today. The point is, like, there's this idea that we can be, like, desiring of evil in a sense, that we crave or, or have that undevoted uh, or un undivided attention to, to evil, um, to impurity. 
to sin. So to sum it up for us, greed is a sinful desire or craving or lust, if you want to call it that, for money, possessions, and even evil. Uh, In fact, we could even expand our definition of a little bit more to say to be greedy is having a love for money or possessions which displaces our love for God, which of course is breaking the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Um, So that's, in a sense, idolatry. So that's that's covering what greed is. And so this, the next portion I want to focus on is what greed is not. Because like I said, there's some natural questions that come up from this conversation about greed. So let's talk about what greed is not. And so dial in with me here. I want to be very specific about these things so that there's no confusion. <coughs> Excuse me. My throat is itchy today. Uh, greed is not, or g- greed is not, necessarily. It can be, right, like we just talked about. Greed is not making or having money. One of the things that naturally comes up from the greed conversation is people are like, well, if I shouldn't desire wealth, right, then I, is it a sin to make money? No, of course it's not. A couple examples, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 Paul's uh, writing to the Ephesians, and he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. So Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. He says, hey, thieves, no more of that. No more stealing. You are to work, earn a wage with your hands or whatever practice you end up in, but you are to earn a wage and you can Fulfill your own needs and also so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. So there's a righteous way to use money, but that's an example where making money is, an, is, an incur, is encouraged. Another example is 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 9, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul again to the Thessalonians. For you remember, brothers, of our labor and toil, we worked night and day, so that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So the context there, Paul was, uh, showed up at the, at, in Thessalonica to visit the church to proclaim the gospel. And effectively what he did is he worked with his hands. He says, labored and toiled. We're assuming he's making tents. We know that Paul was a tent maker. He earned his own wage while he was stationed there in Thessalonica so as not to make himself a burden to the Thessalonican church. So that church didn't have to feed him money and resources out of their own pocket. Paul's like, I'll take care of myself. Don't worry about me, right? And so, again, if making and having money was a sin, Paul wouldn't, be saying, wouldn't have done that himself and earned a wage to meet his own needs, right? There's another example. Um, this is a really powerful one. Deuteronomy Uh, 8.17 says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Right, so that part of Scripture is actually sort of encouraging this idea to look to to God as the provider of your money or or give him the credit is a better way to say it. So again, making money or having wealth is not necessarily condemned in and of itself in Scripture. It's about our attitude, and we'll we'll talk about that 
in more depth. So there's a couple scriptural examples of where making or having money isn't, isn't condemned. So it's not sinful or greedy to make or have money. <coughs> oh my goodness, guys. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> couple of, a couple of personal examples, or not personal examples, a couple examples from scripture. We have Nicodemus. Dude was loaded. John chapter 3 comes to Jesus, right? You must be born again to be saved. That guy, way high up in the Jewish uh, culture, um, extremely wealthy, high in, as, as, uh, as a religious figure. Um, we know that he eventually became saved. We know that he ended up putting his faith in Christ. We have the example of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus also, tons and tons of money, a lot of which he gathered uh, by false means, but he has an interaction with Jesus. I don't know, for those of you who might have grown up in church, the Zacchaeus, please calm down, right? He's up in the tree. He's, he's a short guy. He's trying, to see, he's trying to see Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, right, um, has this interaction with him, and basically what ends up at the, happening at the end of the interaction is Zacchaeus says, like, I will repay the money that I have stolen from people effectively or gotten by dishonest gains. He says like twice or a third. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry I didn't write it down. But the point is he repays extra beyond what he stole. And Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. The response to Nicodemus was, hey, you need to get rid of all your stuff, all your possessions, and all your money, right? It was about Nicodemus's attitude had flipped on his head, and Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. So another example uh, where, where having money isn't necessarily sinful. A third example is Joseph of Arimathea. He's the guy that rep- prepared Jesus's body after they took him off the cross. He came with like, an absolute ton of herbs and spices and all these things to prepare the body for burial, which was costing a lot of money, right? And he had him buried in his own private tomb, which was also a huge, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, like an item or a possession of, of extreme wealth or status. So I'm kind of belaboring the point. You get the idea you remember when I mentioned that Hebrews passage that talks about, I, I talked about that Greek word, uh, philar, um, now I'm going to butcher it, philar, uh, hold on, I'm, I'm going to get it. One second here. I can. Philarguria, sorry, there we go. The love of silver, that expression, the love of money, keep yourselves from the love of money. So, quit someone answer for me, which part of that verse are we told to keep from? Is it the love or the money? The love, right, the love of the money. Keep yourself from the love of money, not keep yourself from money. None of us would be able to support ourselves in any way. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm belaboring the point here. We see from all these examples in Scripture that making money is not in and of itself a sin. It is not in and of itself participating in greed. It is to love the money, to desire it, to have an undivided attention to it. Um, This guy, Pastor Brian Hedges, says this, Scripture locates the problem of greed in the affections of our hearts rather than in money or possessions per se. This means that you can have a greed problem even if you don't have a lot of money. 
The issue is not what you possess, but what possesses you. There are tons of broke people in the world who are greedy for money. Right? You see it all there over social, social media. Uh, you can make a strong argument that the people without money are the ones who are the most greedy for it. Greed is also not having possessions. Most of the examples that I just provided from Scripture are going to apply here too, but having possessions, those shoes that Ella wants, are not in and of themselves participation in greed. Again, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, Joseph, and Matthew loaded, right? Even Jesus had possessions. He didn't have many, but he did, right? He had clothing. He had sandals, etc., uh, etc. Et um, Luke twelve fifteen. Um, I, I mentioned this verse already, but Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In that, when, when Jesus is talking about that, he doesn't say, um, he, he does not say that possessions are bad in and of themselves, but to keep the right perspective. Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. He says one's life shouldn't have, he didn't say one's life should not have possessions, he just said that one's life does not consist in the abundance of them. So over and over and over again, attitude, attitude, attitude. It's about greed, uh, greed is about our attitude towards these things, not that they're sinful in and of themselves, okay? So I want to make sure, oh, last one. Greed is also not saving and investing money. It can be. That's a tough battle to fight. Brad, I'm sure you, I think me and Brad are the only two people in here with a 401k. No, 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 my homeboy back there is. But the point is, I won't belabor this point. Y'all come back to me when you have an investment account. The point is, um, saving and investing money is also not intrinsically greedy. It can be, but it's not in and of itself. There are proverbs which we could reference here. Um, For the sake of time, I'm going to skip those. Uh, You can take my word for it. Like I said, none of y'all have 401ks anyway, so we'll talk about that later. You get the point. Um, there's, there's, that, uh, there's that very clear distinction that I want to make between greed and godly attitude towards money. Greed is about an attitude of the heart, not the object. Greed is about motivation. It's about what you love. It's about what occupies your mind. It's about what you live for. It's about your attitude towards the money. Um, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Our possessions, our money that God is pleased to give us, is all intended to be a blessing to us who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So our possessions, our money, we can enjoy those things in a godly way and not be greedy. Very, very clear. Um, Very, very clear teaching here from Scripture. The things we have are gifts from God. It is not God's will or intent that you sell everything you own and be homeless because possessions or money are evil. It's just that the craving for more, the lust for, the love of those things, which results in greed. Not a thankful, godly appreciation for them, but being consumed by them. So if your aim is to amass a pile of money or possessions for yourself, 
So you can basically live out your days in luxury, and if all you can think about is how to gain more wealth, then you are living in a greedy way and do not have a godly attitude towards your money. Does that make sense for everyone? Very clear distinctions here between what greed is and what greed is not. Got it? Cool? See some heads nodding. Good. Very good. So, let's talk about now about the disastrous effects of greed. This is the most important part of the conversation. Greed has several effects on us. It is a sin which sort of rots out our core. Just as a quick side note, I need to emphasize like how unbelievably enticing the the sin of greed is because we live in the good old U of S of A, right? Um, We are surrounded by untold wealth, unlimited options for possessions, Amazon subscriptions. We got Walmart and Target and, and, oh my gosh, and Kohl's and not that any of you, does anyone here go to Kohl's? Kohl's is like old lady store, right? Thank you, okay, yeah. Okay, thank you. I got some agreement there. Brad, do you go to Kohl's? Right, I was just checking. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, good. Checks out. Yeah, I was just making sure. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, You get the point. Like in America 2023, we have more access than we've ever, ever had to whatever our hearts desire um, than has ever been seen in human history. Uh, It's culturally normative. It's the cultural norm for us to get that bigger house, the boat, the four-wheelers, the walk-in closet, the shoes, um, and to basically, you know, Heap yourself a pile of wealth so you can retire in splendor and live out the rest of your days on the golf course. So all that to say, I think uh, the sin of greed is particularly dangerous for us in this time and place, and we need to be on guard. One of the ways that we can defend ourselves against that is like just recognizing what the rest of the world has that we don't. Uh, there's a specific ministry my wife and I gave to last month. We got a newsletter from them. And it was like the story of a lady from Bangladesh who was like impoverished and she couldn't pay her son's medical bill. It was like 4,000 Bangladesh, I can't remember the the unit of currency. But effectively, like it amounted to less than 50 bucks. Like, and this lady had an, an unbelievably overwhelming experience where she was like, there's no way I can possibly pay, pay this medical bill Praise the Lord, according to the newsletter, God provided for her need. The point is, like, just, just continually remember what we have in the United States, the amount of wealth that we have compared to the entire globe. Just keep that perspective, okay? <coughs> Forgive me here. Um, <clears throat> so the disastrous effects of greed. I'm getting back on track. Number one, greed leads you astray from God. This is probably the most prominent theme that comes up in Scripture um, is, is this idea of wealth sort of drawing us away from the living God. Uh, there's a biblical example of the sower. Uh, the, 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 um, yeah, the parable of the sower. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Jesus' parable of the sower. sower? Okay, quick recap for those of you who might not. Jesus is telling this story that's like an analogy of, of the gospel. And he talks about like the sower who's sowing seed on, on farmland, basically. And the, in the analogy, the seed is the gospel. And, and so 
seed is being thrown onto these different kinds of soil. Well, Jesus goes on to say that um, they're, they're one of the kinds of soil um, is sown among, among thorns. And so later Jesus, um, and, and, and effectively the, the thorns and the environment keep the seed from growing. It chokes out the seed so it doesn't grow. So again, following the analogy, um, the gospel, right? The gospel doesn't grow on the thorny ground. Well, Jesus explains the parable later, and he says that the thorny ground is, the, I'll read it for you, Mark 4, 18. Jesus said, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So again, recapping, going to what I, I almost just fell. Uh, what I started off this lesson with was like the seven deadly sins are, are common sins that we see in Scripture that keep people from putting their faith in Christ. And right, we see that here. Wealth, the desire for more, the greed chokes out the word. Another example from Matthew 26, uh, 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Psalm 10.3, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. 1 Timothy 6.9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So there's what? What I have three there? Four, four. four examples in Scripture where the sin of greed, specifically, is a sin that draws people away from the living God or putting their faith in Christ. Uh, so I don't know if any of you has, have experienced this personally uh, with someone you know. I certainly hope not. But I think all of us in this room with our eyes on social media have seen that happen with people. I mean, I can think of celebrities um, that, I, that I know of who have proclaimed faith in, in Christ at one time, and as the fame sets in, and you get the money, and you get the cars, and right, that, that faith seems to dwindle away into nothing, and, their, and their, their life does not reflect that of someone who follows Christ. That happens all the time. So number one, again, greed leads you astray from the living God. Number two, greed drives you to other sin. An author, uh, one of the authors said, she, she, the sin, she is the mother of more wickedness. Um, again, I read that 1 Timothy 6 passage. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of, excuse me, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. What does that mean? A root, the root of all kinds of evils. Well, um, one of my favorite pastors, Pastor uh, John MacArthur, said this about that expression. Uh, now he says, he being Paul, says that it is the root of all evil. And by that, he means the source of all kinds of evil, which becomes the branches. The root is the love of money, and it produces all kinds of evil. 
So to give you a simple understanding of that, what he means to say is that if you love money, there's usually nothing that can stop you in the pursuit of it, and therefore it leads to all kinds of sin. There's no kind of evil that could be imagined, which, I'm so sorry, there's no kind of evil that could be imagined which could not be the result of loving money. For the love of money, people have committed every conceivable sin. People who love money in order to get, in order to get money will take bribes. They will distort justice. They will manipulate. They will take advantage of the poor. They will lie. They will cheat. They will extort. They will deceive, steal, rob, abuse. They will commit every imaginable sin, fornication, adultery. If they think it will gain them money, they will do bodily harm even. They will kill for money. They will teach false doctrine for money. Every imaginable category of sin can flow out of loving money because if you are consumed with the love of money, then that's the driving force of your life. You will do whatever it takes to get that, end quote. I love that quote by my guy, Jay Mack, like hammering home that idea that money causes all kinds of other evils. So if you are consumed by greed or the desire for wealth, it'll breed all kinds of other sin, okay? Number three, greed robs you of your joy. Greed robs you of your joy. Um, I believe that greed robs you of your joy because to be greedy is to be discontented, right? And, it, and to be discontented is to be unhappy. If I spend my days thinking about how little I have and how much Seth has and how sweet his car is and his house is and how much his 401k, how much of an inheritance he's going to get, and every single day I sort of wake up and I can't stop thinking about, start coveting after Seth's possessions and how much he has, I'm going to be miserable all the time. I'm going to be miserable, and if it consumes my thoughts and attitudes, my focus is not going to be on the Lord whatsoever. I, I kind of have a, have a bit of a personal testimony with this. At a previous job I worked with, I worked, um, um, I was in a similar position where I wanted more money, uh, more status, like you name it. And, and, and as I was working every single day on the job, that attitude started to like seep in more and more and more until it breeded some resentment in me and made me very unhappy, distracted me from the Lord. Um, I definitely have a personal testimony um, about that for sure. So I can give you a firsthand example. Um, I can verify that for you. That greed robs you of your joy. So as we grow, as you guys grow, as you go on to college and you go on to pass college into your job and your other friends get sweeter jobs with better advantages and they get, you know, they're living in Miami and what you, who, you, you name it. The, ga- the, the greed that can set in because of comparison, because uh, the coveting can really, really cripple um, your joy and your relationship with the Lord. So, Recap, we've covered what greed is. We've covered what greed is not. We've covered what greed does to us, what it does to our souls. And lastly, we have the solutions to greed. So if we're struggling with greed, if that's a problem for us, what can we do to come out of this situation? Number one, give generously. Use your resources for the kingdom of God to bless people. 
I already shared this verse, remember Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Last part of the verse, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the commandment Paul's giving is, hey, work for yourself, make a wage, and one of the goals of that is if there's someone else in need, you can meet that need with your money. So number one way that we can... Um, work through the problem of greed, which we can honor the Lord in our behavior, is to give generously and to meet people's uh, needs. 1 Timothy 6.7, belaboring the point again, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they, the rich, they, the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So there's all kinds of passages in Scripture that point to giving, to being generous, um, uh, giving to the local church to fund the spread of the gospel all over the globe. Not only does this kind of action increase our eternal reward when we see Christ in heaven, but it helps us loosen the grip on the wallet, so to speak, and to surrender our finances to the Lord. Just some practical examples. Th- th- there's, there's, there's more than you could possibly name. I thought of a couple of these. Um, just keep these, again, keep this in mind as you get older. A couple of examples. You can find a ministry that you particularly enjoy or that resonates with you or that you think that their work is, is uh, specifically being laid on your heart as something that you, um, that you like. You can choose to faithfully give to that ministry, right? Shave off a couple hundred bucks a month and give to that specific ministry um, once, uh, you know, every month. Um, the home that you just purchased, uh, you can use it to host Bible study groups or to entertain friends from the church. You can use your car. I think a lot of us in here already have cars. Uh, you, you can use your car to help other students uh, that need a ride to get to and from church. You can do that now as a student. You can do that later as an adult, right? You can, you can use your possessions and the things that you have for the kingdom of God. So those are a couple practical examples of how we can uh, use our resources and our money generously, again, to obey that verse in Ephesians 4, to meet the needs, quote, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Solution to greed number two, strive for contentment. Strive for contentment. John the Baptist, preaching the gospel, told his hearers to be content with their wages. Nobody ever thinks they make enough, by the way. You guys will find this when you enter the workforce. Brad Jonathan, you guys can attest to this. Everybody in the workforce feels the same way. Well, I don't make enough to do that, right? Or something, something difficult at work happens. Well, they gotta, that's above my pay grade. They gotta, they'll have to pay me more if they want me to do that. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this. There is no one in the world who thinks they make enough money. They always think they're being underpaid. That's the attitude of the world. So one of the things that we can do as a part of striving to contentment is not to have that attitude and to have a godly testimony in the workplace to be content with our wages. Um, 
Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Number three, pray that God will work on your heart. Nobody said that not being greedy was an easy task. Fighting greed is going to be a lifelong struggle. And if you think, if you think Jeff, Jeff over here is like Captain, Captain Not Greedy, you, you are wrong. You are very wrong. Uh, to fight greed is a, is a personal struggle that I have, that many, if not all of you, will face as well. This is a lifelong battle. Like I said, living in America, it's just a, a, fertile, a fertile ground for greed. Your heavenly Father knows your sinful inclinations. The psalm says he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He, uh, Hebrews tells us as Christ, Christ was tempted in every way and yet without sin. Um, the author of the book called Killjoys, uh, he said defeating greed is not going to be a quick, quick easy one-time fix. Uh, like all sin, we must strive against it. It'll take a lifelong process of checking our hearts, taking spiritual inventory, looking at our wallets, what's happening with our spending, looking at our desires, all of that stuff. So ask the Lord for help. Pray that the Lord would transform your heart, that he would sanctify you, if you guys know what that means, and uh, that you would walk away from greed, that he would change your attitude towards the wealth and the riches and that whatever possessions or money that you might have, that he has given those to you as a gift for us to richly enjoy, to us, for us to enjoy. Um, so yeah, ask, ask the Lord to change your heart and transform your attitude towards money and possessions. Pray for help from the Lord. And the fourth, know that God will meet all of your needs. The greatest treatise on this, I'll close with this, the greatest treatise on God's provision that we have comes from the very mouth of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew chapter six. No one can serve two masters for either he will, I, I quoted this verse already, but I, I, I want you to see like how he finishes that idea and then from that, he talks about the provision of the Lord. So here we go. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. As soon as he gets done with that statement, he says this. Therefore, because of that, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on? Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not of more value than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither, or consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All the Gentiles seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. The Lord will provide. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that you um, are so good to us. We thank you um, that you have allowed us to, to grow up in the United States. We thank you for the things that we do have. Um, we're so grateful, Lord, that you, you give them to us as, as something to enjoy uh, in this life. Um, we're so thankful um, that we can be here today, that we can learn from your word. I pray that anyone in this room who might struggle with greed now or in the future would look to you and take take uh, some of the steps that we talked about today to fight that. We pray that you are merciful and gracious. We pray, we thank you for the cross of Christ that covers all of that sin. But we pray um, that all of us in this room would fight against the sin of greed and that we uh, would be grateful for everything we have. I pray that all of us in this room would have um, a wonderful and safe afternoon that we might honor you with the rest of our day. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Good morning and citizens.